Well, thank God for that wonderful song service. Casey, you've done a beautiful job. Everybody did, for that matter, the singing. There's a good spirit, a sweet, sweet spirit. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew, the sixth chapter. I loved all the songs, especially the one about John. That's a great old song. And then we sang, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Amen? How many love that song? Isn't it easy to raise your hand when you're singing that song? Oh, how I love Jesus. Well, this text this morning will hopefully inspire us to love God even more deeply. How many feel like there's more room in your life, in your heart, to love God more deeply? Raise your hand. Amen. We all know that's true, don't we? Oh, thank God for his faithfulness. Thank God for this wonderful day and all the blessings of life. Matthew, the sixth chapter, we're going to begin at verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What a wonderful truth, but it's a hard truth. We either love God or we don't. We either love God or we love the world. God's not going to allow us to have two masters. Therefore, I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Verse 31. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And when he uses the expression Gentiles there, he's talking about people who do not know God. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil therefore. Sufficient unto the day is the evil therefore. You don't have to worry about beyond today because there is so much evil that's coming upon us each day. We hear some new something going on 
that is perverted, that is ungodly, and there's so much coming at us so quickly. And there's a lot of stress and a lot of worry. That's the result of it. I'm sure we all agree life is about priorities. Food, clothing, shelter, family, God, patriotism, marriage, children, health, and wealth. What is the meaning of priority? Well, there are a lot of meanings to priority. Some say priority is the main thing, the important thing. Some say priority is putting first things first. But what makes life a struggle is there are way too many important things to choose from in life. As a matter of fact, there are so many important things in life to worry about, we don't hardly know what to worry about first. Our jobs are important. Our kids are important. Our health is important. Our shelter is important. What we're going to eat, what we're going to wear is important. There are so many things going on right now that occupy our mind and we look at them as urgencies, as priorities, as important. And when we fall behind in keeping up with all the important things in our lives, what happens? What happens when we can't get to this thing and can't get to that thing? And can't get to this person and get to that person. What happens when we got this going on and that going on? What happens when we start to fall behind and we realize there's a sense of being overwhelmed and we're saying to ourselves, I'm going to blow a fuse. And then when whatever is most important to us in life is left unattended and we can't get to everything and those things are important. They're a priority in life but we can't get to those things. And what happens when we can't get to those things? The foundation begins to crumble. The quality of life begins to diminish. And when we can't get to the urgencies and the important things of life, all of a sudden we realize everything's falling apart. And everything around us begins to fall apart. Be it in the church, be it in the home, be it in the family, the workplace, the community, or the government, when the foundations of life are destroyed, everybody in it, everybody around it, is caught in the whiplash. And that's what Jesus is trying to convey to all of humanity. 
placing things in their order of importance, and what makes life a little hectic, priorities are the results of many possibilities. So, we, so what it boils down to, we have got to be good organizers of our life. We have got to know how to navigate through life with all of these urgencies, with all of these important things to do, and we've got to be good choosers. And the world out there is advertising hundreds of times a day, encouraging you and I to find real happiness. We've got to do this, we've got to look like that, we've got to eat here, we've got to go there, and the world is just piling on. And the reason the world is piling on with so many other things to do is because the God of this world wants it that way. He wants to overwhelm you. He wants to frustrate you. He, he, he wants you to get to everything that the world is offering. And oh, how they dress it up and how pretty it is and how it glows and how it sparkles. But it's a conspiracy. It's an agenda. The God of this world has a plan. And if he can pull it off, you'll miss the greatest thing in life. Look at verse 19 through 21, why Jesus, is, uh, uh, why Jesus is worrying, excuse me, why Jesus is warning us about the priorities in life. Let's read that, verses 19 to 21. It's, it's no coincidence that this is the introduction to what Jesus is saying in this chapter. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. And believe me, there are hundreds of thieves trying to break through. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What Jesus is saying is way too many believers are treasure hunting for the temporal things of life which are exhausting and they're short-lived instead of the much greater treasures which will last forever throughout all of eternity. How is it that we're going after the temporary things, the things that we can have now, but they'll be dissolved tomorrow and here we've got a joy, a peace, a righteousness, a happiness that can last with us forever and ever and ever. And yet we go for the now instead of the later. Think about it. This is exactly what Jesus warned us throughout his ministry that this world... Jesus told his disciples, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you too. Because what I stand for, you stand for. 
You notice how this world has little time for God anymore? You notice how in the academia world, uh, nobody's teaching and putting emphasis on what the real essential in life is, and that is to know God? Have you realized how everybody is being dumbed down? Everybody's being lied to? Everybody's being deceived? Jesus said, love not the world. John said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world is what? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And none of that's of God. And the world passes away. But he that doeth the will of God is forever. There's so many scriptures trying to get us to look at the long home instead of the present home, the temporary home. The whole idea of verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God, is to establish the urgency of life's top priority, which usually demands that something else has to become second or third or fourth in our life. So Jesus is saying, what is most critical in life to pursue is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus preached, this is amazing. The first thing Jesus preached when he was anointed, the first thing he introduced to the world when he started his ministry, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he died. And then he came back to life. And he hung around for 40 more days. What did he preach? The very same thing he started when he was alive. He preached after he was dead and then come alive again. The kingdom of God. He preached on the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. That's why we are often admonished to worship God faithfully. To hear the gospel. That's why we come in church. That's why we have prayer meetings. That's why we have revivals. That's why we have camp meetings. To hear the gospel and to hear all these spiritual things. Why? God doesn't want you and I to forget him. Bad things happen when we don't have spiritual priorities. Too often when we don't navigate our lives well and establish what's important and what's most important in our lives, sometimes when we don't do that, what happens? We waste time and energy on the wrong things. That's why being busy all the time is not always a sign of progress. How many millions of people are going to be busy all of their lives on the wrong things and find out in the end they have missed life's greatest treasure, Jesus Christ. Look at the religious world. Religions all over the world are studying, learning, working hard. trying to sell people on their God. But if it's not the true and living God, 
They're learning about it's all vanity of vanities. You know how many gods there are out here? There are thousands. There's thousands of gods. And we create gods. Where our, where our uh, heart is, that's where our treasure is. And there's so many things out there that are so overwhelmingly appealing to the flesh. The thrill of it all. The pleasure of it all. And the devil's no, no fool. There's sin in pleasure. But only for a season. Then the harvest comes. Then the whirlwind comes. But there are thousands and thousands of gods and millions of people are going to be busy all of their lives on the wrong things and find out in the end that they've missed the real thing. Because something is studied. Because something is studied does not mean it's right or important. When there are no priorities for life, it's so easy doing the unnecessary things. I laugh when I see these Senate hearings and, and, and I see people um, being questioned and they're graduates from Berkeley and Harvard and Yale and they're supposed to be the smartest people in the world and they don't even know the difference between a man and a woman. Go figure. There ain't no man ever going to get pregnant. Now there's a man that had a couple kids and saw the agony of it all. Jesus is saying when we have no priorities, we end up investing in the less valuable things of life. That's why Jesus gave us this priority in Matthew 6.33. It protects us from all our bad investments. It protects us from going down dead-end streets and man-made religions. What gives God the authority? What gives Jesus the authority to tell us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? What gives Jesus the authority to be so high and mighty? God the Father raised him up from the dead. That's what gives him the power and the authority to say, I am the way, I am the truth, 
and I am the light. And no man can come to the Father except the Father draw him. That's what gives Jesus the authority to, to speak with, with such authority in the word of God. By the way, when our kids learn this priority, we won't have to discipline them so much. If our kids would understand, just get a hold of this one little truth, Put God first in your life. Oh, how much easier they would be to raise. Do we realize what Jesus is telling us in Matthew 6.33? We can be successful in everything we do. In all the roles of life. And still fail if we miss the kingdom of God. It's possible to do a good job in all the secular roles of life. Be parents, grandparents, whatever, mother, father, teachers. We can be successful. We can be the mother of the year, the father of the year, the grandpa of the year. We can be good at what we do. But if you fail to do the main thing, What's the main thing? What's the top priority in life? Fear God and keep his commandments. And our country today is not doing either. There is no fear of God. And there is no wanting to keep the commandments of God. Total lawlessness and rebellion is being displayed every day in our streets. How long has the church been in existence? A little over 2,000 years. And scholars ask the question, What's the church been doing for 2,000 years? You know what church history reveals and it's being taught in a secular way in our universities? From the first century down to the present, to the 22nd century. There's more sinners in the world. There's more confusion in the world. There's more darkness in the world. There's more wars in the world. There's more corruption in the world. More deceit. More drugs in the world. More babies dying in the world. More crime and murder. More cheating and lying and cursing. Sin is abounding. What have we been doing for 2,000 plus years? We missed the priority of life. That's what happened. Some scholars say, and this may be challenging to the churches of the world, to all these religions, all religions are built 
on the promise of meeting needs. Let me give you some examples. Papalism, Shinoism, Hinduism, Confucianism, Buddhism, Baha'i. You know who the founder of Baha'i is? Ba'alula. And that religion is Ba'aloni. Then there's Hollywood special religion, Scientology, good old Tom Cruise, and all the celebrities. You know what they teach? Their spiritual salvation depends upon themselves because man is basically good. Well, look at man out in our streets. Aren't they good? They're beating up women. They're throwing people down in front of the subway trains. They're killing one another. Man was created good. But when he fell, you can throw all the goodness out the window. That's why we need a savior. And that's why God so loved the world to get us up out of the mess that we're in. Here's something we've got to consider. This is why most people join a religion. They join a religion to have their needs met. All religions, man-made religions, are motivated by the pleasing of deity to secure their basic needs. They please a deity in hopes that that deity will meet their basic needs. For example, Lord, I planted a garden. Lord, I got crops. I need you to help me out here. Lord, I need you to protect us from harm and danger. Lord, I need you to protect us from the weather. A lot of religion use their deities to protect them. Then some serve their gods to protect them from their enemies. Hindus put food outside in the night to entice their deities to protect them. The Muslims turn toward the east and pray multiple times so they so their god can preserve them. The Buddhists burn incense and chant nice little quotes so their rice crops will grow. What about Christianity? We do a lot of things to appease God, don't we? Like the Jews. 
We kind of give to get. We pray, and we pray loud to impress God. We meet one and two and three times a week so God won't be mad at us. Sometimes we're no better than all these religions in the world whose primary focus is on their needs more than on their God. A lot of people come to church simply because they got problems and they want God to solve them. I had people come into my home, knock on my door and come in and say, Brother Tony, Brother Tony, and and they don't ever come to church. But when trouble comes, they come, they come and they knock on my door. They say, Brother Tony, Brother, Brother Tony, I'm in trouble. My wife wants to leave me. What's wrong? Well, she caught me doing pornography. So let me run the church. So God will give me my wife back. Who do you think God's stupid? Do you think God runs around trying to get you out of trouble all the time and knows that as soon as he gets you out of trouble, you're going to go back to doing what you're doing? And that's not making God a priority. You know how many people come to church? It's not a bad idea. But a lot of people come to church because they're looking for a mate. They're single and they want to mingle. And it's, but it's the best place to find somebody is in church. But if that's your only motive, you've missed the mark and missed the boat. See, you come to find the love boat. And as soon as you hooked up, you found out you were on a battleship. I told the people the other day in the wedding, there's three rings in marriage. There's the engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffer ring. What Jesus is saying and trying to steer us into is we got to be careful our motivations for serving God are not just always to get our needs met. That's why you got a lot of churches that are giving people everything they want. They're used to nightclubs, so let's turn the church into a nightclub. Let's put the strobes on. Let's, get, let's create the music. Let's get them in the mood. And whatever you do, Let's not start meddling. Let's not start insinuating. Let's not allow them to dig around our hearts too much. We've got to be careful, church. Because surveys show 90-something percent of our prayers are only about our needs. 
But watch the connection to our text that Jesus makes. Lord, I need food. What shall I eat or what shall I drink? I need water, Lord. Wherewith shall I be clothed? Lord, I need protection. I need shelter. Lord, I need rent payment. Lord, I need to pass this test. And there's nothing wrong with asking God to help you. But if that becomes your main motive, something is wrong. That's why religion is motivated by needs. It's driven by the priority of needs. Some folks are afraid to sin because they're afraid they won't get help from God for their problems. Can you see what Jesus is driving at in our text? Seek ye first the kingdom of God is not the first motivation of our worship, but rather what God can do for us. They teach in our colleges what the essentials are, what man's essential priorities are for survival. The first essential in life for humanity is water. Our bodies are 75% water. We need water. So what shall we drink? Two-thirds of the earth is water. So what does God do? He takes water up out of all the seas and then returns it back to us through the clouds so that there will be life and growth and food for humanity. The second essential is food. What shall we eat? The third essential is wherewith shall we be clothed? The fourth essential is we need shelter. Shelter from the cold, the elements. Shelter from danger. We need houses and locks and doors. The fifth need is Protection from our enemies. And Sam Colt, he took care of all that problem. And the next essential is security. We want to feel like we're not in danger. So what do we do? We buy life insurance. We save our money. We buy health insurance. And lastly, man wants to feel significant in life. He's got to feel like he's got a purpose. There's something important that he needs to attend to. 
But what essential is not usually on the list in most colleges today, in our academia world today? Our need of God is left out deliberately. And notice that what's essential in secular colleges is the opposite of what's essential in Jesus' mind. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. There's two entities that need to be fed. The inner man and the outer man. And they teach in our secular colleges that these are the greatest needs for all of humanity throughout the world. But not a mention of God. Look at verse 25 with me. Very important. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more important than meat and the body than raiment? Kind of a double meeting going on here. What's happening? What's happening out here? And what's Jesus trying to prevent from happening? The fall of man has made food and water and our body needs more important than the man. We sell our souls for these essentials. Imagine those who sleep with the boss to get a raise. Imagine telling a lie to get ahead. Imagine throwing your virtues away to get a mate. What does Jesus mean by life? Some things, it's a beautiful home and, and, and cupboards full with food and cars and, and, and good 401ks and, and a lot of money in the bank. And, and a big title and a trophy wife. There are people with all of that. And we hear every day how miserable they are. They buy big houses, $20 million houses, $10 million houses. They put them right on the, the waterfronts. The only advantage they got, they got more doors to the slam than us poor people. Jesus is saying to all of us, to parents and professors and doctors and the authorities of life and teachers in the academia world and beyond, those who deliberately leave God out of the essentials of life, Jesus used a parable to help us understand it. Those who forget God, Jesus said, thou fool, this night 
thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who's all this stuff going to belong to? Not you. So Jesus says, stop worrying about food, drink, clothing, etc. Because your life is more than meat. Worry means to be consumed in thought. What do I need today? And some, many, are thinking right now, Brother Tony, hurry up. I got Watts on the mind. Scientific proof says, some say it's more, but scientific proof says one hour a day is spent thinking about food. I agree with that. That means we worship God. That means we worship the God of the belly seven hours a week and we only worship God three hours a week. Go figure. The first thing in the morning, we wake up thinking, what am I going to eat? What shall I fix for dinner? What am I going to fix for the kids? I've got to run to Walmart, and I've got to run to the mall, and I've got to run to the shopping places. I've got to run to the office. I've got a meeting. I've got to run the kids to school. We rush, 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 totally consumed with secular interests, and we have no quiet time for God to start the day. And the Holy Spirit says, wait a minute. Why are you running off to all these places? You need to start the day with me. Can't we see the point Jesus is making? His concern is the lesser things in life have become the more important things more important to us than the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus means when he says in verse 25, is not the life, the spiritual life, the physical life, more than the meat and the drink and the clothing? Because these essentials are innocent necessities, we can easily become vulnerable to how quickly They can overtake the priority of our lives instead of the things of God. We all know that food is essential. We all know that water is essential. We all know that clothing and and a job and a career and, and all of this, we know raising kids are essential. But because these things are essential and innocent, and not wrong, we become vulnerable. And we start putting the emphasis and energy of all of life on those things 
and we have no time for God. It's that simple. The scientific medical world calls worry by another word. You know what that word is? Stress. Did you know that stress tightens your arteries and your blood doesn't flow through like it should? And it could cause you a heart attack, a stroke? The first time that I saw my wife, I lost my breath. And then the stress and the worry. If I was going to be able to land her. I'm closing. Yeah, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat that clock to 11.30. You know what Jesus is saying? Stop trying to kill yourself with all this worry about what you're going to eat and drink and this and that and the other thing. And it's not a coincidence that we are bombarded every day with hundreds of commercials telling us our lives will be happier only if we eat this and we drink that and we wear this for our body and we live in such beautiful places like sunny Fort Myers. You got to be crazy to live on the ocean or on the bottom of a mountain, or in a floodplain. It's all about distraction, folks. The God of this world has one agenda. He's after one thing. To keep you and I and our hearts and minds from the things of God. And how does he do it? He does it through all the innocent things. Of course you got to raise your family. Of course you got to feed your kids. Of course you got to have a job. Of course you got to have food and water and protection and, and, and this and that. You would be amazed at what people worry about. The other day with my wife, when my wife had to go over to the James Cancer for another blood transfusion, and anytime you go there, it's five, six, seven hours. And when my wife came down to the car, she was looking kind of sad, and I thought, oh no, something's wrong. That's the first thing I do when I see her walk out, and I got the car waiting for her. I look at the expression, and I'm thinking, look at her. Something is wrong. And I say, honey, what, what, what's wrong? What did what, what they say? What's the situation? And she whimpered. She said, my dog is home all alone. 
And I don't know what to say. So I said, let's go to dinner. And the whole time I'm thinking, well, she's whimpering and sad. That dog's home playing, sleeping, wagging his tail. And she's stressed out. My dog is home all alone. (laughs) We've played that scenario many times. Half the people we worry about are not even thinking about us. Here's the point. Life is full of stress and strains and worry. We can't change it. Verse 26, Jesus said, if you want to stop worrying, look at the birds. You don't see the birds sowing, reaping. You don't see the birds farming, nor reap or gather food into the barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father takes care of the birds. Then how much more will he take care of you and I, the apex of his creation, that which he gave his only begotten Son to die for us? Your heavenly Father He knows what you need. The word father is taken from the Greek word Abba. And it means source or sustainer. And Jesus is promising us, if we seek first the kingdom of God, then his heavenly father will take care of us. You know why that scripture means so much to me right now? Because of what's going on out there right now. What are we, a month away? We are a month away from being official communistic country or being a democracy. We are that close to judgment day. Here's the point. Life is full of stress and strange and worry. And we're never going to be able to change it. We're going to change some things. On Wednesday night, This coming Wednesday, we're going to have a celebrity profile. And then we're going to get back to our winter schedule of meeting in the dining hall, bringing a potluck and having a devotional speaker and testimonies and prayer.
Church, Casey, you can come. Brenda, you can come. Church, I become nervous when I see believers making their private interests more important than God. I get nervous when I read in the Bible when men became so wicked and every imagination of their heart was evil continually and every man was doing that which is right in his own eyes. I see that wickedness. I see it everywhere. And then I see what happened when that wickedness came up before God. When the stench came up before God, the judgment of God came down. It can't hardly get any worse than what we're seeing. But yet what we're seeing is just the tip of the iceberg. If the church cannot discern the nearing storm, we will be as helpless as the Gentiles when that storm arrives. I don't want to be a church that waits for the storm to hit and then we start praying. We need to weaponize our prayer right now. And we need to have some good old-fashioned prayer meetings where a bunch of us pray, even if it's five seconds. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Somebody says, how can you tell when the kingdom of God has arrived? When the kingdom of God arrives, you'll find righteousness, peace, and joy supernaturally in the Holy Ghost. There's more things important than trying to get a job done and trying to do this and trying to build that and try to feed that was and try to buy this and try to have that. Judgment is upon us. If we knew how the last 50 years the presidents were living, it would embarrass us and make your faces red. How evil, how ungodly, how adulterous, how much lying. And God just kept adding it up. And the cup kept filling up. And now it's just about ready to run over. We need to wake up. Those of us that are not close to God, we need to wake up. Those of us that have lost the battle as far as our priorities for life, we need to wake up. It's late. Jesus is at the door. Everybody can sense it. Everybody can feel it. 
Jesus' admonition is right on time for this generation. Seek first. There's a lot of things in life that are important, but there's nothing as important as seeking first the kingdom of God. And when it comes, it'll come with power. What kind of power? Power that you and I can get on our knees and God will hear us and he will keep his promise. Your heavenly father knows all of these things that you need. He won't let you down. Church, he won't let us down. But we've got to maintain the ultimate priority in life. And that is to take care of the inner man more than the outer man. And if we take care of first things first, God will see to it that our needs for everything else in life will go and come smoothly. He ordained it to work that way. Put God first and everything else will fall right into place. And life will not only be abundant, it'll be more abundant. And that's where we are, church. Would you like to stand? If maybe your priorities have fallen off a little, then take a moment to come and pray. We'll leave it up to you. But it's time to seek ye first the Lord. God bless you.